Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Dr. Jay Calvert, today I'm here with my uh, fully uh, scrub changed out and uh, cutified uh, co-host, Dr. Millicent Ravello. I think these scrubs are better fitting than the ones that you came from St. John's wearing. So good move. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, I had a case over at the hospital this morning, so I had my hospital-issue blue baggy scrubs. And I thought was hysterical is that our scribe, who works in our office, she's a recent college grad. Her only medical experience really is this Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Center. And she's like, oh my gosh, Dr. Rovello, your scrubs are so big on you. You look like a real doctor. <laughs> So what did I do? I promptly changed into my figs. It's right. Outfit. Exactly. It's like, wait, I can't wear these on for the podcast. This isn't not it's not gonna work. I need my figs. I know. So <laughs> we had a we had a my surgery fit. You need it. I'm telling you, it is a big deal. And uh it is funny though that our that our scribes see medicine as Beverly Hills plastic surgery. <laughs> I, I hate to break their little hearts and their dreams. It's just not I'm like, that way. I know you're applying to medical school, but just so you know, this is like not it. No. For the majority of what you're going to see and do. It's a huge part to be to be fair. Like I know a lot of people don't believe it, even my mom included. Don't think we're real doctors. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, I didn't know plastic surgeons were doctors." <laughs> yes, mom, actually we are. <laughs> I think it's like a different career track. <laughs> she did. She really she's like, "I didn't realize you guys went to medical school." Anyways, yes, plastic <laughs> surgeons, we are real doctors too, um, but as our scribes will learn very quickly when they go to medical school and do their residencies, there's a huge wider area of medicine as well. If you weren't going to be a plastic surgeon, mm. what were you going to do? Ooh, I have like six parallel lives. <laughs> wow. I know you're for, for one. Um, for a long time, I wanted to be like something in the fashion world. Um, so like a fashion writer, but then I skewed more towards a costume designer. And that mm. is still my like favorite alternative parallel life dream to do like research, right? Because it's like kind of intellectual. So like, you know, what did Russian girls wear in 1994? Or, you know, what did they wear in 1776 Paris? And so like delve into that and then design it and do it for stage or for TV or whatever. I thought that'd be super cool. That's sort of a reconstructive type of thing too. <laughs> it so is. So that's good. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I I was gonna play in a band. <laughs> just I love playing guitar. Still do. Yeah. That was that was the other choice. It was either uh, musician or medicine, and I I think I chose wisely. I think we did okay. Yeah. No, I think I, we made the right choices. I love what I do. I I absolutely would do it again. I still I because I can still play music. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's I can great. still play dress up. <laughs> That's right. You do all the costumes you want. Um. But you know, and and it's true. It's uh, it, it's you have to really be willing to sacrifice a chunk of your life to the training to become uh, a surgeon, first of all. But to just become a doctor, to become of, a doctor, you know, a doctor's, you know, it is a huge sacrifice. Yeah, and so you have to love it. I mean, otherwise, it really is just a job, and for the work you're putting in, it's not worth it. So you got to love it. No, if you want money, go to Wall Street. They have a lot of money there. Mm -hmm. That's why I tell everybody that. If you think you're going to make money doing medicine, think again. You you can do great. I mean, I, I'm not complaining at all. But I think if if money is your focus, medicine is a terrible choice. Terrible. I terrible. Mean, it, it's getting worse. By the second. By every day. I mean, yeah. every day that the insurers say, you know, we're not paying, 
you know, and they they are at the point where they just don't want to pay for anything. And so everybody's going into this cash system, which is going to make it even, I don't know, maybe it'll make it better. Maybe if it goes to market forces, that might be better. Save it for the next podcast. Okay. What are we talking about today, Dr. J? I want to talk about brow lifts. Ooh. And it's a good one. It is. I think brow lifts are important because the they're misunderstood. Mm. Um, in fact, one of our, our uh, I won't say who it was, but one of the people that uh, has come through as a, to be educated in our center said, well, where I'm from, they just say brow lifts don't work. Oh, wow. That's a big, that's a big statement. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, I think that our guest speaker uh, at one of our meetings said the same thing coming from a, they, they said, we've abandoned brow lifts. They, they just don't work. I remember that. Yeah. They were all about like rejuvenating the upper eyelid and doing fat transfers and skin excisions. But yeah, they kind of stopped doing the brows completely. So, um, as, as a guy who loves brow lifts, um, I have to, I have to disagree and say that brow lifts can be really powerful. I think they look really great. I think if they're done correctly, and that that's probably why they fail for a lot of these people is they just don't quite understand how to get the the movement that they're looking for. Um, I mean, you've seen it. You see it up and up close and and personal. As a mm-hmm. matter of fact, uh, I mean it, it's doable. Yeah. So let's break down exactly what we're talking about here. So it's basically what it sounds like. A brow lift is a brow lift. They're talking about the eyebrows. So. This is probably one of the first signs of aging in the face. It happens in late 30s, early 40s. The brow starts to descend, and it gives patients sometimes an angry look, or it can just make them look kind of tired. And it's a very aging appearance to the face. And even if patients can't pinpoint why, that is one of the main reasons, is that the brow has started to descend. And if you are someone that does a lot of Botox of the forehead, it can make it worse because the function, so the, the muscle of the forehead, it's called the frontalis. When you paralyze that muscle with Botox, you prevent it from doing its job. And it's one job is to raise the eyebrows. So if you paralyze it or weaken it with Botox, the eyebrows drop even more. And so usually those are the patients that really first start to see or feel that their brows are descending because they are actively weakening their frontalis. That being said, if your brows are dropping and you're not Botoxing, your frontalis is working really hard to keep your eyebrows up. And so now you're getting wrinkles in your forehead because your frontalis is working so hard to keep your eyebrows up. So I don't know. You got to choose your poison. Do you want to have a smooth forehead and your eyebrows dropped? Or do you want to have wrinkles on your forehead and your eyebrows in the proper position? <laughs> or do you, you want to have the best of both worlds? And have a brow lift. And still get your Botox. That's right. Well, and that's the thing. I, in fact, I had a patient who uh, texted me and was like, you know, I don't ever want to have Botox again. Can't we raise these brows anymore? And I was like, well, we can. I mean, you can raise them up really high where you look surprised. And that's sort of been the fear of of uh, many people that have brow, mm-hmm. brow lifts is they're like, well, I don't want to look surprised. Right. Because that was very much a look back in the day with old school brow lifts. 70s, 80s. Yes. They just look like they were constantly <laughs> surprised to see you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because that was done as a coronal brow lift, which meant that the surgeon made an incision basically from ear to ear up mm-hmm. in the hair and would peel the whole front of the of the forehead down. 
Yep. And and uh, in fact, in it's some like skin your forehead. Yeah, basically, it was a it was a scalping move, and it would bring your whole uh, the the entire flap down, and you would release the the periosteum. Uh, in fact, they would trim muscle out. They would actually take out little bits of the frontalis muscle. Uh, sometimes they take out corrugators and, and mm-hmm. procerus, and then they would lift and cut skin away. And so the skin would be taken away, be an inch of skin sometimes. And man, did those those brows came up. I mean, they moved. They got them to move. But yeah. Hmm. Not my favorite way of doing a brow lift. You seem dubious. <laughs> you seem surprised. You seem surprised. That's right. Oh, man. We we absolutely have to get the uh, that, that scene into this somewhere. <laughs> hmm? You had a question? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, oh, just oh. help me. <laughs> help me, doctor. What? You seem dubious. Hmm? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I hear you're the best, Dr. Maccabee. <laughs> um, so I don't love the coronal brow. Um, I, do... I, d- I don't know. I mean, does anybody do the coronal brow? I'm sure somebody does. Somebody does out there. I have to say, in my training, I haven't come across it other than for like a traumatic, you know, fracture reduction. <laughs> yeah. And we, we do coronals on our facial feminization procedures mm-hmm. when we do a reduction of the, the, of the frontal bone yeah. and, the, and the bossing of the forehead. So we do coronals, but for a brow lift is very difficult to, to get it to not look weird Extreme, and yeah. unnatural. Now, then there's the endoscopic brow lift. Mm-hmm. Which Endo is, brow. Yeah, that, that's sort of what I do. Uh, and you do. You mm-hmm. like that. Uh, you know, I think this is where you're down on the bones, on you know, over the frontal bone. And these are small incisions. So we're talking like, you know, a centimeter and a half or something. Just one, two, three, four, or sometimes just two. Just two, yeah, Across lateral. the, you know, top of the scalp hidden in the hairline, behind the hairline. Yeah, the last few that I've done, and I've done four in the last two weeks, um, they're about an about an inch, three yeah. centimeters. And I've just done lateral ones. In fact, I've been able to do lateral ones and raise the, the peak of the brow and the lateral brow through a single incision, which I really love. And I've used uh, used the endotine device even laterally. It's a little tricky, but I've been able to do that. Uh, the and I have no financial interest in the endotine company or who I don't even know who makes it, but uh, I do like the device because it's a it's a way of fixating the brow in a good position after releasing the uh, the periosteum. So you use a scope, we use a, a camera, and we make those small incisions. We get down on the bones and and get over to the the, the ridge, basically, of the frontal bone. If we have to go all the way across, then you want to use the scope so you can see the nerve bundles, the neurovascular bundle. There's a nerve and an artery and vein coming out of four locations above the, the brow. And you release the, the tissue, and man, does that brow move. It moves. It yeah. moves good. And you can put it where you want it, and you can tailor it with those. If you're doing a medial brow lift along with the lateral, then you can use that medial port to kind of get the excursion that you want on the medial brow. And I, what I find is that you can really contour it quite accurately. Yeah. And not everybody needs the entire brow lifted. Some people just need the outer edges. That's the lateral brow. Um, some people, if the inner corners or the middle portions of the eyebrow have descended as well, then they get the full four, three incisions. It doesn't make a difference, really. These incisions are, are small. They're well hidden. All that matters is that you're getting the right pull in the right direction, whether that's just on the outside or the entire brow that's individual to each patient. And it's and it's effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it works well. Um, I don't see them falling down. I, in fact, I spoke to uh, 
one of the patients that I did in my first year in California after I came from Pittsburgh. I did a uh, endo brow and mid face on uh, one of my colleagues at UC Irvine, and she is now a lot older. And she texted me and said, "Hey, you know, I need somebody to clean up my neck. I moved up north and blah blah blah. Is there, do you have somebody? I'm not going to travel down there because I'm like, I'm 80, you know, basically." <laughs> and I was like. No, but how's your how's the upper face? She goes, oh, the upper face is just like you left it, and that's great. That was two thousand one. Yeah, so it stayed. Now yeah. in the beginning, it looks a lot higher because it's sw- so. That, I think it's what people sometimes say they think it falls because the first like week or so they really are kind of sitting up a lot higher because things are swollen. swollen. Yeah. It's really swollen, and then as they the swelling comes down, they do quote drop, but that's really just them coming back to the position you put them in to start out with. So maybe that's what people think of sometimes when they say it drops. But it, it doesn't – once it settles down to where it's supposed to be, it tends to stay there. Yeah, and, and so the, the, the endo brow is great, and I, I often do it with the mid-face lift where I lift the cheek or release the entire mid-face and lift the whole, whole shebang and get this entire area rejuvenated through one tiny small incision. Um, the, the other way to do the brow that I want to mention is doing a subcutaneous brow lift, mm-hmm. which is very straightforward. Uh, this is where you just go under the skin, uh, over the muscle and you just lift the skin up and you can tailor the brow. And in fact, that's the, the method I use when somebody says, boy, I just like a little more elevation here. Well, we already did the endoscopic, uh, entire, you know, flap elevation. And and if it's not enough, then what I'll do is I'll make a hairline incision and I will go down on in the subcutaneous plane and then I can trim a little skin out at the, at the hairline. And do it that way. And and some people do need that. Some yeah. people want it a little more extreme. And if you do, then that's kind of how you can get that without having to re-elevate the entire flap. It works well. Biggest problem with brow lifts that I have, and I see it a lot, is uh, nerve weakness. And oh, yeah. it, they happen. You know, it's a they, thing. It is, I just tell people, be prepared for it. If it happens... You know, if one of your eyebrows isn't moving, the other one is, and you, you look like Mr. Spock, <laughs> then we're going to Botox the Mr. Spock side until the other side wakes up. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the nerve. is The frontal nerve runs right through that area. This is a nerve that pl- supplies sensation to the, the frontalis, the muscle that actually elevates the brows. So if one side gets knocked out temporarily, that side will drop and the other side will kind of overcompensate. So one's high, one's low. It's temporary. These nerves are very rarely actually cut or transected. Right. They're Usually not, they're just bruised, they're swollen, they're a little traumatized, they're sleepy. They wake up, give them some time. You Botox the other side, do some exercises on the weak side to get it to kind of wake up. And it does. It always does. Yeah. I mean, they've all come back for me. I, I haven't seen any, you know, the, I've just never seen any residual weakness. I have seen, you know, people say, well, how often does that happen? I go, more than I'd like, that's for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, you you think about it, you're putting all kinds of local anesthesia into these areas. You're you're elevating everything. The nerves are going to get stretched by the by the dissection itself. They get weak. Um, it It's not the end of the world. People kind of don't want their brows to move anyway. But, <laughs> but you do want the frontalis action because it's part of the elevation of the brow. So yeah. I, I don't tell people to, uh, they shouldn't assess their brow lift results until they're about four, five, six months out and you have full motion all the edema's out. Um, I think that it's at least five to six months before that's the case. And if you if you wait on that, then you can get a full evaluation whether you like the result. I still see a change on everybody right. over the year. I mean, yeah. 
I, I watch, you know, everybody that I've operated on and watch how every time they come back, I look at where their face is and what's going on. And there's a lot of changes as they heal. You know, there's scar tissue that forms, there's contraction of the, of the, uh, myofibrils and the scar tissue that's being formed that doesn't happen until nine to 12 months after surgery. So judging a, a result on any kind of lifting procedure, facelift, brow lift, mid facelift, until you're kind of a year out, I, I think it's sort of early to do it and you're going to be hitting a moving target if you start reacting to oh, it. Oh yeah, no, for sure. You got to give it that much time at least. Um, and the surgery is, it, it can be done on its own. It can be done with a facelift, which is usually when it's most commonly done. But it's really, it's up to you how much you want to do. If you're doing doing it on your own or on its own, you're going to be a little sore, a little swollen for a couple of days, a little bruised. Most patients just say they have a headache. That's what I hear most commonly. I just have a headache. Well, we did drill some holes in your head. <laughs> Sorry about that. Don't worry. You're going to love it. Drill holes in your head. <laughs> Don't say that. You're going to scare everybody away. You don't drill holes. You drilled holes. the outer table of the bone. That's it. You didn't drill a hole in their head. Not into their head. But there is some work. On <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So who wants a brow lift? <laughs> Me. I'll take one. <laughs> I want some holes in my want head. Some, I need that like I need a hole in my head. <laughs> I think that's the expression. You are going to need a hole in your head if you want that brow lift. No, no it's just, not, it is a, a very, very minor the tab. To tab. Put, to it put, is. It's and so a real suture. So it's, it's tiny. It's it minuscule. But it gives, allows patients to you understand, though. you know, why it does they have a headache. A hundred percent. Because it does hurt a little it bit. It does hurt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, but it's but like a headache. It's, it's not like terrible. a headache. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of days, it feels okay. You're a little swollen, Take a little some ibuprofen. Yeah. And within a week, you could be back to work if you wanted to be seen in public. Um, or two days later, depending or, on whether you're Dr. Ravello or not. <laughs> Just depends on. If you're totally okay looking <laughs> swollen, bruised, beaten up, and you have a job to do, go back and Two days it. is good. Perfect. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Throw that case on. I'll be right there. <laughs> but yeah, most people, I tell them a week. Yeah. And, yeah. and you can go back. I mean, I just had a, a patient I posted on uh, on TikTok or something or on Instagram where she was able to go to like a, a, a like charity gala, you know, 10 days after wow. the operation. It's kind of close. <laughs> it's possible. Well, not recommended. Full, not recommended. But she did do full makeup. And yeah. I, I showed the pictures and, and, you know, her cheeks are definitely, you know, because the, the swelling goes south. Yeah. You know, it does. And she had the mid face with the brow. Um, so, you know, it's a great operation. I, I think it does work. I, I don't, I, I don't look at my brow lifts like, oh man, that was, that didn't do anything. Uh, it does. And you just have to give it the time to heal. You have to, you know, wait. And I will, I will say that there are some people who do want a more lift that I wind up doing some skin lifts on. It's not a big deal. You do it under local anesthesia. It works. Yeah. It does get them the little extra if they want it. But I, I think you got to wait that good year before you really decide you want that. Because if you overlift it, can't bring it back down. Can't. Yeah, there's no way of really fixing that. And m one of my most recent patients, I will also add, uh, had blepharoplasty uh, about four years ago. And she heard one of our other brow lift or mid-face lift uh, podcasts and uh, said that after her blepharoplasty, she just had the upper lids done, that her brow came down. She looked mean. And she looked yeah, angry. Because that's, that's they did not do problem. the brow with, with the, the lids. With the lid. And so... The reason for that, so these are patients that have extra eyelid skin and they have brow ptosis, their, their brows have dropped. 
But because they have all that extra skin on their eyelids, their frontalis, their forehead is working overtime to raise the eyebrows and get that extra skin off their eyelids. So it kind of masks how low the brows naturally sit. And then when you take the extra skin away and the brows don't have to work so hard to keep the extra skin off your eyelids, now they sit in their natural position, which is low. And so they're like, wait, why do I look so angry all of a sudden? And I saw a patient like that last week in my other office. She came in because she had had a blepharoplasty four years prior, and she had what she thought was recurrence of her extra skin. And she'd have a little bit of extra on the outside of her lids. But really the problem was that her brows were sitting really low. And she was very upset to hear that she would need to have a surgery which was now not covered by her insurance. Because sometimes insurance covers the upper eyelid surgery. Brouch. Brouch. And so... She wasn't happy with that. Yeah, and so patients that come in and try to have this done with insurance on the upper eyelids, they get very upset when I tell them that they also need to have a brow lift because they're like, well, doesn't insurance cover that? And like, insurance doesn't really care about your brows. You know, I've had insurance cover brow lifts um, in in rare cases. Rare cases, and the only time I've seen it is if they do it through an open approach, like Right over the eyebrows, <laughs> like oh. old-fashioned, <laughs> like cut it right above the eyebrows, leave a incision right above you know, your eyebrows on your face. And just like seen, the reverse abdominoplasty. Yeah, I've seen <laughs> that done and covered, maybe just because the surgeon didn't want to put too much work and effort into an insurance-based brow lift. Oh, I don't like that operation. It's, no. Have it, I done it? Yes. It's an option, but we don't, obviously, we're not talking about it on this podcast because... We don't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's called a direct brow Direct lift. brow, literally what it sounds like. And there there have been occasions, mostly like at the VA, where you're trying to get the brow out of people's eyes, where you can use one of the forehead creases yeah. to do that. If you're older and you, know, you already have some deep formed creases, that's very possible. And if you don't really care if you have a scar on your lift, it does the job. Yeah, and... and I guess I, I've got the rare case where I'm doing a pre-trichal incision to advance the hairline, you know, to bring the hair forward and do the brow lift simultaneously. Those are tricky, though, because you're trying to get yeah. a balance. You know, you're trying to bring the, the, the hair-bearing scalp forward and do the lift at the same time. Yeah, it, it's tricky. I've tried it. Uh, I've been, you know, moderately to, uh, you know, very successful with it, but m- more moderate because it, it's hard to balance. You know, right. and you can't get the shape of the brow as much as, you know, you can when you're doing an endo and like with the endo brow, I've got, I've got control. Like right. I've got really good control with it. And with the pre-trichal and a, and a coronal, it's like, it, it, it makes them look goosed. Makes it look like somebody came behind them and grabbed their butt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not cool. It's not a good look. Hey, hey. see ya. <laughs> still good to see you. Yeah. Still, uh, uh, still. No, really. Are we having lunch? <laughs> Not cute. No, but it can be done. It can be done well. And the results can last. Um, so just check it out. You know, see what your surgeon has to say about it. Yeah, we have, I, I think on my Instagram, I have a whole lot of stuff about that. And also on my uh, TikTok now, I'm starting to put more instructional videos there that sort of walk through the the thinking behind these operations and where the incisions are and you know the I, I think you know the the concept that it doesn't work is just not true it's not true it's not true for me it's not my reality <laughs> it's not my truth you have to speak your truth <laughs> i have to speak my truth 
And that's why we are here on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, coming to you from the 90210. If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast and want to get in touch with either Dr. Ravello or myself, this is how to do it. You can reach me at the website, ravelloplasticsurgery.com. You can reach out to the office directly through the website with any questions or consult requests, or you can call the office directly at 310-954-1355. And you can reach me on Instagram at Ravello Plastic Surgery. And to reach me, the phone number is 310-777-8800. My website is drcalvert.com, drcalvert.com. Instagram, Dr. J. Calvert. And of course, you may want to check out our YouTube channel for the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, which is simply that, Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Hope to see you all in the office very soon. Oh.